Hi, this is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today by Jameson West, who I've known for approximately forever, right? So, <laughs> <It was. laughs> uh, and Jameson has a very interesting past, present, and future. So we're not going to talk about the future, although I, I've already scheduled him to come back and talk about that. Um, so Jameson has bought several MSPs and then sold, I guess, the big one. Yep. He, he told me he's a serial entrepreneur, but you're not. You are a parallel entrepreneur. you got a couple of different things going on right now. So uh, tell us who you are and how you got here. Yeah, sure. I, um, I did have um, apparently some high risk tolerance uh, early in life and, uh, and just was uh, made and molded for some reason to walk down the entrepreneurial path. I'm not an ant- accidental entrepreneur, so I think in, I love the book E-Myth. Um, but it doesn't really describe me while it does describe most people in our industry. I went to the University of Washington Business School, uh, very focused in what that looked like. I had an uncle who was very entrepreneurial and, and I just felt like I wanted to build something. Um, so I started consulting um, in 95 and started my IT services business. 21 years there, just learned a ton. I was uh, acquired for other MSPs, grew it to about 40 staff. Um, a really rough learning curve on the last one, especially, and uh, and then sold the resulting entity in 2016 to a larger MSP in Texas. Um, co-founded a SaaS platform. It seems like a lot of folks in the services space, once they can manage to find their way out of it, uh, <laughs> often <laughs> look towards SaaS or software or something that's a little less service oriented uh, because it's a hard it's a hard game. Um, although I thoroughly enjoyed the vast majority of it and learned, cut my teeth there. Um, I, I've, uh, I helped found Smileback um, and I'm kind of getting, re-entering deeper into, into my work at Smileback. Um, I co-founded Teamatics a couple of years ago and recently uh, sold my equity back to my co-founder who's running with that platform and just recently co-founded a new SaaS platform uh, with also with Brad Benner, who was part of the Smileback project uh, called Time Zest. So a lot going on in that regard, and also speaking and and uh, and doing a lot of consulting and EOS work as well. Right. So uh, so the current project is Time Zest. Time Zest, correct. So uh, I, before I get into that, um, when you sold to the company in Texas, uh, you didn't stay with them. Right. So you being on board for three years or whatever was not part of that deal. I actually had three consecutive one year employment contracts. I stayed for one and very mutually incredible amount of respect for the management leadership team at Aldridge. They're great. Uh, But my vision and what I was trying to cultivate, which was purely cloud services, which is one of the topics I travel and speak about so much and have for probably six, seven years now. Um, it just didn't have the operational maturity that they did as a hundred person MSP and a little bit more traditional approach. They, you know, like any larger MSP, their shift and transition towards cloud had to be far. There was a much more diligence. It was going to be a long transition. And I was more of a revolution than evolution guy, um, a little impatient at times and, uh, was selling things that they just weren't prepared to support. Um, and we just mutually agreed that it'd be, you know, I was ready to go off and do other things. So that's interesting. So larger MSPs, a little slower to move to the cloud. 
I think because of the operational maturity level required, the due diligence and time it takes, it's like, you know, it's like steering the Titanic instead of a dinghy, right? You just got to, you know, all I have to do is pull one oar really hard and I'm, I'm, I'm 90 degrees, but you, right. you coordinate 100 people to make a turn, it just takes longer. Right. Okay. All right. So what is time zest? Sounds like a toothpaste. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, time zest is, you know, we discovered, um, you know, and I've been very involved with ConnectWise for a very long time, part of that family. So we, part of what Brad has always, his genius has been, uh, Brad Benner, I mean, his genius has always been finding things about uh, PSA platforms, Autotask, uh, uh, ConnectWise and others, uh, things that they really could improve on to provide a better uh, user experience for both the MSP and their customers. Um, so time zest, it really focuses on the problem of calendaring. Uh, we're used to platforms like Calendly and others to send somebody a link and allow them to schedule against your free, free time. There's really no solution like that in these platforms. And so we built one so that right within the ticket without engineers needing to leave the platform, they need a half an hour to get on somebody's computer, or have a conversation with somebody for support purposes. And the customer in one click can schedule time against the person or people they need to schedule with and move on through their day without that nightmarish back and forth that inevitably. Right. Happens so this is where they see openings and they say, give me that one. And it just shows it right into the ticketing system and everybody moves on and keeps the workflow intact. And, and it's a couple seconds on each end instead of massive wasted time. Right. Yeah. Very cool. And so, the other thing you're doing is, this is why I say you're a parallel entrepreneur. You got that going on, but you're also, uh, and, and of course, the speaking thing, which is awesome. And then uh, EOS. So uh, <clears throat> I think by now, interestingly enough, in the last few years, everybody in this industry seems to know what EOS is. Getting there. Yeah, so that's true. Why is there room for consulting in this? Like, doesn't everybody already like, I read the book, I'm done, I'm doing my level 10 stuff and I'm yeah. on my way. There's, um, so a little bit of background, first on me and then on EOS and kind of where I'm seeing it go in this industry. Um, I ran my business, um, you know, pre-EOS, before Gino wrote the book Traction, I utilized uh, basically what was uh, now called Scaling Up, uh, which was Vern Harnish. And most of us have heard of Vern Harnish. He founded EO, uh, which I've been a member of for six years. Um, he wrote Rockefeller Habits. He had the one-page business plan. Then he wrote Scaling Up and Gazelles is his company. A lot of people knew that some slightly larger MSPs were utilizing that, but it's not vertically focused. Um, any business could utilize that. It's still a very powerful system. Uh, Gino Wickman um, wrote a book called Traction and created EOS, which is a fairly similar problem, but I, I find that it's simplicity and ability to kind of move into smaller businesses that don't require as much maturity to digest what he's done is, is just been super powerful. Um, I wouldn't say that he invented much. What he did is really cultivated the best of Lencioni and, and others and, and really pulled all of these incredible exercises and thinking into a really cohesive and simple to digest plan. So um, it's exploding. There are not nearly enough implementers out there like me uh, oh, really? or the number of people who are wanting to do this. Um, that said, there's two ways people implement traction or EOS in their in 
you can utilize either frame, uh, either word um, from a nomenclature perspective. But um, people self uh, self implement, meaning they will read the book. Uh, maybe they'll bring in some people who have some knowledge, and they'll just start putting it into place themselves. Uh, but when folks uh, really want to accelerate the process. They want to make sure they're doing it right. They want to be coached, uh, facilitated by somebody like me. Um, there's, there's not enough people out there doing that yet. There's a lot of demand and there's people getting into that process. So right. I, I see in the MSP world, if there's sub 15 employees or so, um, that's usually when people are self-implementing or getting help joining maybe a peer group, which I'm also working on. Um, if they have roughly that number or more, um, they can usually afford to uh, bring in somebody to really teach the leadership team how to do it better, implement far faster. And frankly, it is very hard in a business that's going through a lot and trying to make change. It's hard to both facilitate a meeting and participate in it well at the same time. Right. Um, so what we, what we really see is while I can have a, a client who completely understands EOS and they're well implemented, they still want me or another implementer facilitator to run those quarterly or annual meetings so that they can just fully digest. And do you do that on site or do you do it through a Zoom or something like that? Um, I have uh, done everything on site. Um, so. Uh, I'm, I partner with other folks really in the MSP industry, even though I haven't been exclusively focused on the MSP industry, it's where I obviously right. I've been around. So that's where I will tend to focus. Um, I've got a couple local Las Vegas um, clients. I'm the only implementer in the entire state of Nevada, for example. Um, wow. Right. Moved on to Nevada and that's easy. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of, then there's a lot of demand, a lot of people self-implementing and there's other implementers who fly in from, Utah or California and help. Um, but it's really difficult to do this well over a Zoom. Um, it's it's uh, part of being a great facilitator is being able to be in a room and feel the tension and the emotions and be able to see that eye roll in the corner of the room or the, the tentative agreement that wasn't really an agreement where I can't catch that in right. here, right? and. And leadership teams that really want to move forward and create that trusting open place uh, to, to, to move the ball forward faster, um, those things need to be called out. And, and very few leadership teams are great at that. It's a difficult thing to get great at until you have just the right people. So were you a good facilitator before? I, I believe I was. I think it's my natural. It's my natural zone. I love to facilitate. I love to lead leaders. It's it's my favorite thing to do. Um, and in my MSP at Arterian, I had always run the meetings and ran my leadership team. I think rather well. Um, when we really ran into hard times on our last acquisition, I realized that for I, there was so much going on and there was a lot of stress that I realized even though we were having tough a tough time monetarily. And I, uh, I doubled down and, and hired a facilitator, even though I felt I was a strong facilitator, I needed to fully participate. In the well, meeting. and part of that is the wisdom to know that you're far more emotionally tied into it. You know, when you were talking about the tough conversations, that, that book is filled with examples where the leaders realized that they were the ones in the way and had to rethink some of this stuff. And 
that is a hard thing when you grow. And, you know, I just am engaging with somebody who basically they're on this growth path that they don't need help with the growth. They need help keeping their culture as they grow. And that is, I, I told them, a very wise decision to make. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, um, it takes a certain amount of humility and trust to, uh, to have somebody else come in and facilitate a leadership meeting. You kind of have to let go. I, I think there was this moment, I, you know, I, and, and I've never been one, people know I have an ego. Everybody has a certain amount of ego. I'm not, I'm not shy about the fact that I know what I'm good at, but, but I also know what I'm not good at. And I think that um, a key leadership trait is to have the humility to not have to be the best at everything in the room. Um, as a matter of fact, the best leaders surround themselves with people who are far better than they are at right. their particular. And I, I run into so many businesses that don't have leaders that think that way. And as when somebody's willing to implement EOS and do this right, it's a, it's them being trusting that everybody can take their role, their accountability, and actually do that role better than they could. Um, and that kind of that that's how companies are built, you know, is that is just really that trusting leadership, giving giving everybody their strengths and the accountability to run with those strengths. And, and that's been a, that's been super fun to watch in some of these organizations that just haven't figured out how to, how to implement that. Right. So um, I know you're familiar with the disc profiles and stuff like that. Um, when you look at those profiles, there are people who are sort of stereotyped as, the leader types, high D, yeah. high I, right? Yeah. Uh, but I have known and I have worked with people who are high S or high C and are the owner of a company. They somehow became entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. they are successful. Yep, yep. But they, people expect different things from different leaders. So how do you come in and say, here's the way we're going to run a meeting? Is it, the, is it the same for everybody? It doesn't seem like that would be possible. Yeah, you know, from an EOS perspective, it is the same. Uh, in terms of agenda and process, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to participate in exactly the same way, but here's where the difference comes in what you just mentioned. So there are two kind of different types of leaders. There are the visionary idea, big relationship people. That's absolutely what I am. And then there's the people that are kind of the technicians, the doers, the integrators. And so in the EOS mentality, there's a visionary and there's an integrator. And some organizations, if, if, they, if they're those high S, high C people, they may be more the integrator. They're, they're involved, they're touching everything. They're not mentally somewhere else half the time. Um, they're very much entrenched in the business and those businesses may not have a visionary. So about 50% of businesses that go through the EOS process have a visionary leader and they need to bring in that integrator type to run the daily operations so that they can go live in their genius zone. Um, really focused on big ideas, big relationships, being creative, being the visionary. Right. Um, and kind of get out of the way. I had to do that in my MSP. I realized that day-to-day -day operations and, and those pieces, while well, I had to do them as we grew, as soon as I could afford an integrator to come in and own that piece and get out of their way. And I just did the big partnerships, the big relationships. I started speaking. Um, I found I could actually cultivate more for the business 
getting out of her way. Right. Uh, then, then, then well, for me, I, I know you've, you know, my brother Manuel, yeah. when I was able to get him as service manager, it freed him to deliver and execute every day and freed me to move up and actually do a lot of sales, but also do all the visionary stuff. Right. And so, yeah. you know, and I do think what it, it may be that I mislearned that lesson, but the lesson that I learned is the service manager is probably the most important hire in a small IT business because you need to be able to absolutely trust that they're executing um, to your best interests and that they understand where you're going and how you want to get there. Um, even if they don't necessarily have the same dream or vision, as long as they execute your vision, <laughs> yeah. a long ways. So yeah, absolutely. is it harder to get, uh, to, to, to break through blocks if somebody is a visionary versus um, uh, uh, an executioner? No, I think, I don't believe so. I think what's important is that whether or not there's a visionary, somebody has to own that integrator role. Um, and they need to be good at it. Everything about EOS is about right pe people in the right seats. Right people meaning alignment to values and culture. I mean, making sure the right people are in the bus, right seats mean they get it, they want it, and they have the capacity to do it. Um, the integrator is kind of the key role. So the hard part in us, just like you described yourself. So if, if Manuel's the integrator in the business, meaning really overseeing all the operations and likely running the L10 meetings, the weekly meetings, it, it, it that's a critical piece. But for, in, in terms of breaking through ceilings, which is literally an EOS term that's used frequently, um, the, those roles can complement each other. Um, as long as everybody understands what the strategy is and they're executing against it, they can rise to the next level. Um, I believe um, it's a little less about how it, those individual tendencies than it is about taking the genius in the room and getting it aligned and pushing the same direction. That's where we fail. I, the beauty of EOS to me is there's a lot of people with a lot of great ideas and many of them have some success in spite of themselves. They entered the right market. They had a great idea, but they don't really know how to get everybody just marching to the same right. Drum, right? And EOS takes literally what it does is it takes vision and puts all the elements together to give you traction. That's literally the name of the book. The whole point is like, it doesn't matter if it's a visionary. It doesn't matter if it's an integrator. If we get everybody accountable for the right things and we're, what gets measured gets managed. All of those concepts, right people, right seats. When we do that well and get alignment, we can break through ceilings. And it doesn't really right. matter how the personality is leadership as long as we get on the same page and how we adopt. So this. do you deal with the entire staff or just the management staff? As, uh, as an EOS implementer, uh, just the leadership team. So whoever that key leadership team is. And ultimately what what we like to see is that the leadership team gets exceptionally good at this. They have the VTO, which is eight questions around what's our vision, what's our 10-year, three-year, one-year quarterly, kind of breaks everything down into what are we going to do as an organization that's shared with everybody. They get very good at setting quarterly rocks and running their weekly L10 meetings, just a very good rhythm. Eventually, the leadership team is strong enough that those leaders who have reports under them can begin running their teams with an L10 meeting. So they're learning enough from the implementer as part of the leadership team to know how to then go run. 
is you have to replicate the entire system at the departmental level. You really need to think about um, how do we measure, uh, what's our dashboard, uh, basically scorecard, I should say. What's our scorecard? What are the KPIs we want to understand? What are quarterly rocks people could set uh, for those goals that align to the leadership team's one-year plan? And then finally, how do we run our weekly meeting in an effective way? And that agenda is very simple and we can replicate it for virtually any type of meeting. Um, and it's effective because we prioritize it correctly. So I know you've uh, read Simon Sinek and uh, you know, the whole thing of start with why. Yeah, so um, how, how does this contribute to having everybody in the organization understand why their job exists and where it fits in the big picture? So um, one of those eight questions on the VTO is what's your purpose? Um, and I like purpose better than mission, right? A mission is something, I always think of mission, vision, values, right? That was always, those were knocked into our head early. Right. And I, it's, I've, I've, missions never really resonated with me. I've always provided purpose, vision, and values. Vision being kind of the behavior or tenure vision, whatever that is. And that's what, it, that's what we call it in the EOS is the tenure. You can change the number. But values and purpose, the why, the Simon Sinek stuff is a big question. We run through an exercise in EOS to kind of answer that question, get clarity. I have, you know, through my work at Team Addicts, we did a tremendous amount of work on purpose development, uh, on uh, performance development. It was all about give what, how do people find purpose in the workplace? And we found it was three things. Um, one is people want to be aligned with why they're doing what they're doing. Why am I sitting here? What, what's my purpose? What's the organization's purpose? And am I personally aligned with it? Two, they want to know how their individual role contributes to the vision and the plan. Like, how am I contributing to where we're headed? And then finally, people want to personally grow. They want to know that growth is in alignment with their personal desires and growth plans and paths. And when we get those three things working, they find personal purpose in the workplace. So I think it's a critical question that not enough organizations answer well. Um, it can often feel really difficult when, when sometimes these businesses kind of fall out, well, I had a job, I didn't like doing it, so I started my own company and now I'm just making a better paycheck. Well, really... That's, that's not enough, right? It'll get you a little ways. It might get well, you- that better. runs to burnout. I mean- Yeah, it, it, you can't build a great company on right. I got a better paycheck, right? Yeah, I, I actually was teaching a class yesterday and made the point, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, well, like that can only lead to burnout, right? There has to be some purpose bigger than money because you can make money doing anything, especially if you have IT skills, you can go get a job with somebody else and then you don't have to manage people and you don't have to do payroll and you don't have to turn on the lights and yeah. every, every other little thing. Uh, so we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask about uh, with this engagement, do you start with the boss at the top or do you start with the whole team? I, uh, so the whole team, it's usually initially a conversation with whoever's at the top. I literally have an appointment today uh, with an MSP who wants to just have a conversation around what this would look like. So they get a 30 minute call, just kind of find out where they're at, what they'd like to do. If they're more curious, uh, the EOS process from an implementer perspective is to sit down for what's called a 90 minute meeting. And it's really about gathering the leadership team together and walking through what it looks like to really implement in the business, what it looks like to work with an implementer, just the whole process. So people kind of summarize the book, right? Like this is the cliff notes in 90 minutes for the team, answering questions, getting clarity. And if they're ready to go, then we schedule, uh, we schedule the first day. 
um, and it's called the Focus Day. Uh, and then it's a full eight-hour day in person with the leadership team and the implementer. 30 days later, vision, we start answering those eight questions called Vision Building Day 1. And 30 days after that, Vision Building Day 2. So those three days are really the onboarding. It's a lot of work. It's two months of significant effort on the business instead of in the business. Um, and, and from there, you're really rolling into that quarterly rhythm that just allows you to execute and grow as a business. And uh, you said the minimum that makes sense is around 15 employees or 15 people? Um, it depends. I have, um, it, it really does depend a little bit on revenue and budget and like, but I, I tend to find 12 to 15 is about where, where people are more willing to budget uh, an implementer. I've utilized and, uh, and implemented EOS in companies as little as three people. I, right now, we, at TimeZest, we are three people and we are, I'm actively implementing EOS within our organization. It create, but it's a self-implementation. Right. We're not gonna, and we, we couldn't, A, we wouldn't budget for it. B, we don't have the number of people to, um, to get value out of a couple of the pieces of EOS. However, the accountability chart, setting quarterly rocks, running our weekly meeting with this with this methodology, all of those core elements, super powerful. Even with two people, it can be super powerful, the, the right. core underpinnings. Because then as you grow and succeed, you've already got this process that just scales right out to those teams, and that's wonderful. So sometimes when people engage coaches, uh, they, they think it's great and they want to grow and this is worth it, and they plunk down the money, and then they – do not implement any actual changes. Have yeah. you had that experience or is this um, whole process designed to make sure that doesn't happen? So what we tend to see is that people that use an implementer are vast, the percentage of people who successfully implement and work with it um, and, and see success in ROI is a very high percentage. I couldn't tell you exactly what. So far, I haven't had a client that hasn't had massive ROI within very short time frame. My first client um, within nine months had 800% increase. Wow. It was a ma massive. I mean, they're writing a white paper. She'll do backflips for me. If they <laughs> it's been pretty exciting. However, we see self-implementers often um, – the, the individual who's pushing EOS in the organization isn't the owner. There may not be complete buy-in, and it just feels like another exercise that if it doesn't have immediate results, they don't, they're not invested financially, so it tends to fall out. When you hire somebody and you're held accountable and you know the whole team knows what to do and a few people are seeing value and they're popping through some ceilings that they hadn't popped through before, and the leadership team's invested in it, they tend to execute and it changes everything. People, they'll, uh, people get happier because they realize that the clarity that comes from understanding what everybody's accountable for, who's executing against their goals, their rocks, their to-do. You know, it's interesting because uh, before I be became a consultant, right? I worked for much bigger organizations and it sort of loops back to what you were saying earlier that, you know, really small companies can make these changes. And, Bigger companies, like I remember one specific company that if you brought this to them, they had about 30 people in the organization. Uh, if you brought this to them, they would have said, oh, 
This is another thing from on high where we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to run around and have a bunch of meetings for six months and then we're going to drop it and then we're going to go pay some other consultant to come in and we're going to do it all again. <laughs> and it was, you know, they, these waves of, you know, management by objective and whatever else. So, um, but smaller companies can actually execute, see the benefits and, and buy into the whole thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, my my newest client is 250 staff. That's uh, right on the upper side. A lot of them are are line workers. They're not an MSP. They're a construction company. Um, their administrative team or core staff is 60 to 80 people. But that's going to be a, a much different looking effort. Uh, but I'll be singularly focused on their executive leadership team and and. They simply, even at that size, and it's typical in the construction industry, is they have less maturity. They manage to get rather large pretty quickly without a lot of business maturity oftentimes because they started as contractors. And, and it's a, that'll be a very interesting, uh, a very interesting client, a brand new, just getting started with them. Um, and it'll be the largest client I've worked with. Uh, we really see, I've seen an MSP utilize EOS up to about 500 employees, just very large. Wow. And still they, they started to need significant other systems. Uh, it wasn't quite executing across the organization in the way they needed. Um, I really see it growing to about 200 staff, but starting at two or three. Um, I, and I just think it, it really helps organizations with the nomenclature and the mindset to grow. Very cool. Well, we're out of time, believe it or not, but I see you got the uh, your name up there in the domain. So uh, we'll put that down below as well, but uh, folks can get a hold of you. And uh, it sounds like you're open to uh, introductory phone calls and just seeing sure. where you go from here. So happy to have conversations. If people want to chat, they can shoot me an email or grab a, grab a little time on my calendar from the website. Very easy to do it. Happy to just have a conversation, even with self implementers who just want a little advice or help as they move forward. Very cool. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks at ChannelCom. Absolutely. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So, let's stop the recording.